This is Stephen Adams. And this is Kevin Dr- Oh, sorry. <laughs> Kevin Durant. <laughs> You're Kevin Durant, mate. <laughs> good to see you, mate. Different complexion. Okay, let's go to you. So, this is Stephen Adams. And this is Anna's Cantor. You're listening to the Down to Earth... Down to Dunk podcast. What? Down to, down to Dunk. Down to Dunk. I'll down say that. Dunk. Introduce yourself, mate. Here's Stephen Adams, and I'm Anna's Cantor. And you're listening to Down to Dunk podcast. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Down to Dunk Podcast. This is Chris Andrew Schleck. And with me, Brett Dawson of NewsOK.com. Brett, how's it going, man? It's great, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Glad you could come on. Uh, so the last two games have been great. We had a podcast on Friday, and it was like doom and gloom. I was giving out like all the worst stats in the world. And uh, the Thunder have turned it around, I think, mostly because Russell Westbrook just went Nova. Over the past two games, he's gone... Uh, 80 points, 17 rebounds, and 20 assists, which is just kind of insane. Uh, but what other changes have the Thunder made in the past two games, Brett? Well, I mean, there are a couple of things, it seems like. Um, and, and I haven't crunched all the numbers on, on uh, you know, some of the on-off stuff and looking at exactly what uh, Victor Oladipo's rotation was in terms of playing with second-unit guys. Um, one thing, you know, Billy Donovan said the other day, if they're going to be a really good team, Russell can't be Superman all the time and come in and save them. And that is exactly what has happened in the last two games. I mean, like he has come in and saved them, but they've gotten him in position to do that. Um, and that's been important. I think Oladipo was particularly good, mm-hmm. uh, on Sunday. I thought he was really good at both ends. Um, I thought Robertson obviously was really good at both ends. Um, much better than he's been, uh, you know, he's always pretty good defensively, but much, much better offensively. I think they figured some things out with him, uh, for now that work, uh, in terms of getting him moving and not having him park in the corner so much. Um, and, and I think they've been reasonably good defensively. Uh, I think they had two pretty good defensive games and what they did more than anything else against Portland is they, that they have not been doing is just kept their heads above water when Russ was off the floor. I mean, I think, I think the three games, Without Canner before that, I think there were four games or whatever it was. I, I think their offensive rating in that range was like 72 without Russ on the floor. Uh, and I got to 90 on Sunday, which is, you know, right. you know, it's, it's manageable. You can, you're, you're going to have him off the floor so few minutes that 90 isn't going to crush you. Uh, 72 can crush you yeah. over the course of 15 minutes. You, you can, you can get a lot of damage done in 15 minutes with him off the floor if you're going to, if you're, you know, you're going to be doing that offensively. Yeah, and Billy seems to have figured some stuff out. And I think the thing he figured out most is he's going to play Stephen Adams a lot more. Against the Grizzlies, he played 44 minutes. And then yesterday afternoon, he played 37 minutes. And so he's been playing a lot more with the second unit guys. He's basically primarily just been like a tandem with Russ all season. Like there are very few minutes that he's played without Westbrook. And that number's starting to go up. So that helps a lot. Uh, finding like Robertson with uh, some offensive purpose has been helpful. He's been uh, slashing a lot more. He's been obviously he's really good on the fast break. And if you kind of look at his shot chart, it's it's all in the paint. And he had that dunk yesterday that just like came out of nowhere. Uh, that was just amazing. I couldn't yeah, believe his, it. <laughs> I think he said it was he he at first said it might have been his best dunk since college. Yeah. And then I think he amended that to there was a, there was one I can't remember what dunk he talked about because I haven't been around here and I don't remember it and I can't remember who was involved maybe Anderson Verge I was involved I can't remember but there was like another player involved with that one but uh, yeah he said maybe his best dunk since college I agree I think mostly because I was so surprised like he's got that athleticism uh, but it, I feel like he's such a 
confidence guy. I mean, like yesterday he was clearly very confident in his abilities, but I mean, sometimes that's just completely gone and that, that kills the Thunder offense. But when he's confident and cutting and willing to make moves like that, it's a, that's a huge deal. Yeah. I think that, you know, what's funny, I, the dunk was so impressive, but he had one, he had a crazy layup that I think might have been his most impressive finish just because I didn't think it was going to go in. It was kind of, you know, further out kind of thing and mm-hmm. uh, attacking the rim. It was, it was really a, uh, a play that we haven't seen him make a whole lot. And I do think it's been good. Billy Donovan said after, I think it was the Memphis game, that they tried to get him on a cut on the very first play. And Memphis took it away and they didn't get that. But they did get some other stuff with him doing that later. And that's exactly to what you, you just said. I, I think it's, it's a confidence thing with him. And they wanted to get him going a little bit. Um, and he said that was more Robertson than anything, this commitment to kind of moving. But they do want to get it happening a little bit more because, you know, Eric Horn and I talked about this last week on our podcast or on Thunder Thursday or on one of the many products you can find <laughs> at newsok.com. Um, when he stands in the corner, particularly when he's shooting the ball the way he is now, it's just, you know, there's just no value to him offensively mm-hmm. because he gets an ocean of space and it creates not, there's all, all this, all this uh, defense packed in the middle. Uh, there's nowhere for anybody to kind of move. And there's just so much, there's just this Island of space around him. And so just getting him on the move and not having him stand in one spot and miss jumpers is, is a huge thing for them offensively. I think. Yeah, no question. And he's, I mean, he's one of the Thunder's best players right now. And that's maybe more an indictment on the Thunder's roster than anything, but he's one of their best players. He's obviously their best defender. And whenever he can't play because of his offense, that kills the team. But he seems to have turned that around a little bit over the past two games. And I was looking at lineup data this morning, and I found this kind of surprising. Uh, these are for five-man lineups. He's in the best three three-point shooting lineups um, for the Thunder, which I found really surprising that he's on the that, court for those. Some of them are small samples. Some of them are small samples, like Russ. This one, this this lineup shooting fifty percent from three, and it's only on twelve attempts, so it's not much. But Westbrook, Sabonis, Robertson, Grant, and Adams. I was like, that that makes no sense. That <laughs> that's that they're shooting fifty percent. Uh, but he's, I mean, he doesn't have to kill your offense, I guess. Uh, but he's got to be moving. He's got to be setting screens and. Fred Cass talked about this, and it's always been kind of one of my pet peeves: is why don't the Thunder set more, you know, off-ball screens and get more actions going? It, it you know, the Thunder had, didn't do that with Scott Brooks, and they don't really seem to do it much with Billy Donovan. And you know, Vantage tracks all those stats, and the Thunder are always very low in the amount of screens set. I, I don't know the rationale, and I, I, I wish the Thunder would do that a little bit more. Yeah, that's interesting, especially for you know, kind of creating. Billy Donovan always talks about ball movement and player movement and setting some off the ball screens helps in that in terms of that player movement and freeing some things up there. Uh, that's an interesting question. And I'm sure that Billy has addressed that at some point mm-hmm. uh, over the last two years. I don't remember if he has talked about it this year, but I'm sure it's been asked. Yeah, I don't either. The stat last year that was always really crazy for me is that last season, I think it was like in February or March at that point in the season, Steph Curry had set 700 off ball screens and Russ had set like 60. <laughs> yeah, that's wow. That's uh, amazing. Which is, I, I like the idea of Robertson setting some screens. I like that they, they, they do a little bit of, uh, they can even do a little bit of pick and roll with him. It's sort yeah. of an interesting, uh, twist with him as that kind of small ball for, he likes that role. He said, um, you know, he enjoys kind of doing that. And what he talked about yesterday was also, um, when he's playing that position, it frees him up a little bit to just go get rebounds, which is something he's really good at. 
Um, and, and, you know, he, he did that obviously yesterday a lot against Portland, mm-hmm. um, had some opportunities at that spot to go get some boards and really, really, I mean, even when he was playing small forward at the beginning was very much attacking the glass. Yeah. And Billy's shown his willingness to play him at the four, at least during the stretch when Kaner's out, which is kind of nice to see. Cause I, I always think of him, I mean, he's more of a four as an offensive player. Uh, obviously defensively he can guard whoever you want him to, but I'd like to see him continue to get looks there. I want to thank Chicken Express for sponsoring today's show. They're special right now. You can get two meals that includes four tenders, a side and a drink for only $9.99. Great deal. Chicken Express has a ton of locations in Oklahoma City, two in Edmond, Yukon, Moore, Mustang, Norman, Chickasha. Great locations, great food. Go check out Chicken Express this week. Grab yourself a sweet tea. And get some chicken strips that are just delicious. And back to the podcast with Brett Dawson. My next question for you is, is Jeremy Grant overrated? He seems to be the guy, anytime that I flip on the radio, and this isn't, these aren't like the greatest people to listen to about Thunder Analysis, but they're, they, they're like, why doesn't Jeremy Grant just start? Jeremy Grant should play 30 minutes a night. Jeremy Grant, Jeremy Grant. I understand like he's got a really great physical profile. He's been hitting his threes this season, which has been a pleasant surprise. But some of these numbers are just a little bit disappointing. Um, sorry, that was my favorite. That's a That's a festive tune you got going Thank on. Thank you. It's a, uh, it's a Caribbean theme. I try to take myself to the Caribbean anytime I get a phone call. Um, some on-off numbers for him. When he's on the court, the Thunder are a minus 7.4. And uh, when he's on the court, it's at minus 7.4. When he's off, he's a plus, the Thunder are a plus 5.2. And then the defensive rating when he's on the court is a 109. And when he's off the court, it's a 101.9. And I like what Jeremy Grant does. I think the shot blocking is great. I think the dunks are great. I think the threes are great. But the data says that he's not really helping the Thunder all that much. Do you think that he's overrated? That's interesting. It's a, he's a weird guy to think of as overrated, um, but you're right in the sense that there are so many people. Barry Trammell at our place is, is a guy who is sort of a proponent of a starting lineup change, uh, mm-hmm. or at least was last week, and that was the lineup change that he suggested. Now, I think there's a couple of things that can that can be – there's some noise maybe in some numbers with him, um, as there is, with I think, with literally any Thunder player who spends a lot of his time on the court without Westbrook. Yeah. So I don't know exactly. You know, I, I, I want to look at Westbrook numbers and West like on off Westbrook numbers with Grant mm-hmm. um, and know what what that's in. But I, I do think here's one thing, and this is this is complete spitballing. This is coming up with this off the top of my head because I'm I'm just now being presented with these Jeremy Grant numbers. They're new to me. But like one thing I wonder about is how much of the time that he's on the floor is he spending defending some of the guys that Robertson defends. And maybe one of those things is there's a gap defensively between those two guys. Hmm. Um, you know, um, he, he's guarding some of the better wing players sometimes, you know, like it was funny. I talked to his dad last week and I was, t- uh, cause uh, his dad Harvey was at a couple of games. Yeah. Um, and I said, you know, like he, I, I was talking about his defensive versatility. I said, you know, sometimes they can throw him on up. They, they've, they've had him guard fives. Um, sometimes he might guard LeBron and, uh, and his dad said, he tries to guard LeBron. <laughs> Um, you know, it's not going to let the kid get too full of himself, but I mean, he, he does have difficult defensive assignments that might have something to do with it. Um, you know, the, it is interesting though, because I think the, you know, the, the dreaded eye test makes it seem like they're better when he's playing. And I think it's partially because he's been such a surprise compared to expectations. I think he's been much better than people thought he was going to be mm-hmm. because for one, just nobody thought he would stretch the floor like this. Nobody thought he was going to shoot the ball this way. Um, but I think that the, 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 
the potential looks really good there. You see all these things he could do. Um, you know, his dad wants him to develop a post game offensively. That's something they don't really talk about much. Um, I think what they'd rather see is some of this in between stuff, his ability to put the ball on the floor, yeah. maybe finish there, maybe someday get a call. That's never happened yet that he gets a call when he drives. Yeah. <laughs> I think because he's so like kind of discombobulated when he does it, I think is it probably uh, hurts it. Yeah. But those numbers are, are really interesting to me. And I was not aware of that. I hadn't looked at that at, at, uh, at his on off. And that's, that's interesting because it, it certainly doesn't speak to what I think um, people think when they watch the team. And it's also interesting that, you know, they, they played pretty well against Portland, not great, but they, they played pretty well and he played very little, but uh, they didn't use him a lot. And they're, they're still, in the process now of figuring out post canter rotations. And I think that's why you're going to see some weirdness um, where he doesn't play a lot, where they had Abrinas available yesterday and chose not to play him um, because it's still a, a work in progress. And they seem to figure out a few things yesterday. So that's going to lead to some more kind of tweaking, I think of, of, of who plays when and with whom. Yeah. And I, I would, I don't know. A lot of people see Grant as like a Robertson replacement. And I, I just don't, I don't, I don't see it because he can't guard point guards and he can't really no. guard shooting guards. And I think people no, would be really disappointed a, if that's the Robertson replacement. No, and I, I've had a lot of people suggest to me, um, you know, not only suggest that he start, which is very, very common, as I said, even Barry. But when Barry suggests it, he suggests it for Sabonis. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where you have to go. I, 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 Grant is not a full-time wing, and he's, he's not going to be that in his career. I mean, that's just – not who he is. I think he is a small ball power forward who can do some, you know, you've got some guys like a LeBron and, and again, he doesn't, it's not like he puts up a great deal of resistance against LeBron, but you've got some of those big wing players who are physical and, and, you know, have a, a sort of diverse game and he can defend some of those guys. But I mean, you know, they've used him at four, they've used him at five. He's a small ball front court guy. Um, I, I don't ever see him transitioning, you know, the, the three point shooting, notwithstanding, I, I don't see him ever transitioning into a guy who's, who's a wing player, even, even, you know, 75% of the time on the floor. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Interesting. Another interesting grant number. So as a two man lineup with Russ and grant, they are a minus 42 and, wow. then, and then as a two man lineup with Russ and Robertson, they are a plus 93. Wow. That's remarkable. Uh, you know, again, you got to think about what's in those numbers, but that is a fascinating pair of numbers. Yeah, and yeah, it's extremely noisy. Um, I don't just take that as like Grant is like the worst player ever. Right. I think he's yeah. just developing. Like, he's still twenty two years old. Uh, I think there's been some flashes there, uh, but the numbers just aren't that kind to him. And you know, I I think that Robertson should be traded from the Thunder. I think that they need to go get a wing. And obviously, like you're just not just trading out. Robertson for Grantsman. It's like you have to go get another wing uh, if you're trading away Andre Robertson. But um, Grant, I think Grant to me is more of a indictment on what the Thunder think of Josh Hustis than what they think about uh, Andre Robertson. I don't know what you think about that. That's probably true. I mean, uh, Hustis, Billy Donovan talked about this again this week, and it's the thing he, he just constantly goes back to is just the difference in guarding pick and roll as a power forward versus a, a wing player, mm-hmm. uh, what your responsibilities are. And that Houston is really, he's making that transition from being more of a power forward as a college player uh, to trying to make that transition in the NBA. And, and what Donovan doesn't say, because Donovan doesn't really say these things is that that transition is really hard and he's not doing it well enough. I mean, like that's, that's gotta be the answer, right? Like we don't know, we don't see it, but the answer has, to, if he keeps bringing up, this is why he doesn't play. 
um, is because he's making this transition. What, what, what he's not saying there is he's not making that transition well. Um, and I think everybody knows he has some things he can do offensively. Um, but, you know, I think people get a little excited about the minutes he gets uh, that are that are not real meaningful. I mean, the, the only minutes he's gotten this year were utterly meaningless. You know, there's nothing nothing to those minutes. And so I, I think and it's also hard to judge, you know, as I once had somebody tell me as, as a scout once told me about the you know, you look at his D League stats and they're nice. And a scout once told me everybody in the D League averages 15 points, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's it's not literally true, but it's almost true. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, D-League stats, you know, if D-League stats a whole lot, Dakari Johnson would not be toiling in the D-League. Um, right. There's a lot more to it than just what numbers a guy puts out in the D-League and that the, the caliber of defense there is, 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 you know, obviously vastly different. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I don't think that there's been no indication. There's been no reason to believe that they feel like Josh Eustace is a big part of this thing going forward. Because, you know, they play him some, you know, they, they, they don't play him over Kyle Singler. Um, They're just, it's just, I think we're at the stage where it's pretty clear that at least in the short term, that's, that's not a thing. Like Josh Eustace is not going to be a a piece. Yeah. Which I guess is a little disappointing just because he was a first round pick. But um, yeah, I, I, the the signal of uh, a bottom five player in Kyle Singler not, or getting minutes over him is, uh, is very loud. That's kind of scary. Yeah, and, and look, you know, the one thing I will say about Billy is that rotations change a lot. He, he'll, you know, guys will kind of go away for a period of time, uh, and then they'll come back. And we saw that with Anthony Morrow, who just, you know, just went through a stretch where he didn't play. But the thing with Houston is he just hasn't had that stretch where he does. There just hasn't been that that period of time where they've even sort of given it an experimental look. Yeah. Uh, so switching gears to Demonis Sabonis, you wrote a nice piece on him at uh, newsok.com. You guys should all go check it out. Basically, he's just a super nice dude, and he's really been good for the team off the court. Uh, on the court lately, he's just been really up and down, which is what rookies do, uh, tw- at least 20-year-old rookies. That's what they do. Uh, what are your thoughts on his game moving forward? Uh, do you do you see them changing the starting lineup? I don't see that happening, but do you see that potentially happening, or do you think that he's like the the starter moving forward for OKC? I think he's going to start for the probably for the rest of the season. I mean, barring any kind of weird injury situation where not not just him getting hurt, but something else happening that would mm-hmm. necessitate them making some kind of change, or if there were a situation where if he got so good with the second unit, and we're a long way from this happening, I'm not suggesting this is going to happen anytime soon. If he got so good with the second unit that you could do with him a lot of the things that you do with Canner, then that might change their view of playing him with that group and sort of featuring him. Um, in that setting, you know, saying like, we're going to make you the NS canner of our second unit now. Uh, but I, I don't think that's going to happen because offensively, that's not where he is. He's not a guy that consistently draws a double team. He's not nearly the kind of finisher around the rim that, that canner is. Um, he's a long way from that in terms of his development. But I do think there's a couple of things about him. One, they really like that he's a ball mover. And that's one of the things they liked about him from the very beginning, that he's not a guy who needs the ball a lot. Um, and he's not a guy who, who demands and commands a lot of shots. He's, he's going to be in the, in that position to move the ball. And I think they'd still like to see more of that, more of his passing. Um, I think, you know, that's one of the things Billy Donovan's talked about a lot is having him not be just a stretch four, having him put the ball on the floor a little bit, having him post a little bit. What we've seen is that stretch four, even though that's not what he played in college, was a real natural progression for him because it's, it's, it's not easy, but it's relatively easy. Stand in a spot, set some screens, 
get some open threes. As they've tried to have him do a little more, I think that's been harder. The stuff he's being asked to do is harder to do. It's just it's harder to put the ball on the floor. It's harder to, to score in the post. Um, and so I think he's struggled a little bit. But I think with him, there is some confidence stuff. I think they feel like he is a guy. Uh, Russell Westbrook said this the other day. I was talking to him about Domas, and, and he brought it up, and, and Donovan has brought it up before. He's really self-critical. He's very hard on himself. Hmm. And so Westbrook, who is not a guy who is shy about being hard on his teammates, obviously, does, I think, uh, treat him a little differently. And he said as much. You know, He said you just don't want to be too hard on him because he's so hard on himself. He doesn't need you to be hard on him. And if you do it, it's almost like piling on, I think, in some ways because they know how he already feels. So I, I, I think that it's weird to say about an NBA, like a professional basketball player at the highest level, that oh, like they don't want to damage his confidence. Yeah. But I think there's something to that with, with him in particular. And so I don't think they'll make that change. If there was a real obvious change, like like we talked about Grant, Grant's a fine player, but it's I, I don't think you look at Grant and say, well, that fixes everything that they have going wrong in their starting lineup. And I, I don't think there is a change. You know, there, there's. They've got a roster. We've seen it. It's got holes in it, and they don't have real obvious plugins. They don't have real obvious things that fix what problems they have. Yeah, that, that was really, a long answer. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's all good. That Russ uh, anecdote is really interesting because it kind of that's very counter to what like the national perspective of Westbrook is. Um, yeah, Andrew Sharp. I don't know if you listen to the Open Floor podcast, but he this past week he's and this is I know that he was probably just he probably regrets saying this. So at least I hope he does. Uh, he's just talking about how Westbrook is detrimental to to your team, and he said he wouldn't even take Westbrook over John Wall and the Wizards, and uh, he doesn't think that Westbrook's a top five player. Uh, and now, I, I mean, obviously, all that just makes no sense to me. Um, but he acted like he was like detrimental yeah. to like the players on the team, and I think that anecdote like speaks to the fact that that's really not true. Yeah, a I'm a big John Wall fan, and that's that's crazy to me. I think yeah. Wall's really good, but like that idea is like if you want to swap those two guys out, I think you would you would I don't think either team would be thrilled with. I mean, I, I think I think the Wizards would be much more thrilled with what happened. I think yes. the uh, I think that's a bad that would be a bad swap out for the the Thunder, and I think Wall is great and deserves to be an All Star and is having a fantastic year and should really be in the MVP conversation. Not as one of the leading guys with a real chance, but he's been fantastic. But Westbrook is way better than he is. He's just a way better player. Um, and, and I think, too, I, I think what, what is interesting about Westbrook is that he does have a real – he has a real awareness of things like that, you know, things like that about Domas, things about his personality that I don't know if he gets a lot of credit for because I think he's viewed as a guy – to me, I think the outside perspective is he's a guy who just goes off on everybody if things aren't going his way. Um, so much so that I think at one point there was, there was a, uh, a game, the Gold State game, when, I, um, you know, I think – you know, Sam Amico, I like a lot, um, said that when, when Russ walked with the ball, you know, like cradled the ball and walked like 85 feet with it or whatever. <laughs> yeah. you no, know, uh, said that he was like pointing to his head, like, like yelling at his teammates, like you have to think. Um, and that's not at all what he was doing. I, no. it, not yeah. at all. He was saying, I can't believe I spaced out like that. Where uh-huh. is my pit? Yeah. Um, but I think the perception of Russell that he's so hard on everybody else kind of carried, you know, sort of, sort of bled into what people saw um, when they looked at that. But I don't think he's like that at all. He's hard on some guys, um, and I think sometimes it's because you know he's he's trying to get the best out of guys or whatever. But then you take a situation like that one with Sabonis, where he I think understands that this guy's already going to do this to himself. He already knows what he you know. You might need to point out to him what he needs to do better, but he already knows it was wrong, and he already feels bad enough about it. So you don't want to pile on. 
Um, I, I think that's a, a great understanding. And I, you know, I've, the, one of the most interesting conversations I've ever had about being a point guard was with John Wall, um, who told me of all these things, all these things about a point guard's responsibilities that I never thought of, including like just having a counter in your head of we've had five trips and so-and-so hasn't had the ball in five trips and I need to get him the ball now because it's been X number, you know, X amount of time. And I think that understanding of your teammates and their personalities and what they can and can't take from you and all that stuff. I think that's all part of it. I think Westbrook's good at all that stuff. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, let's move on to some Twitter questions. Uh, this is from Austin S ten twenty seven. He asked on a scale of one to 10, how important is the 2017 first round pick? Five, because that's what I always say when somebody asks me a question. Because I don't, I don't, I don't know how to quantify things from one to ten. Like, um, it particularly, like there are certain things you can quantify. If they had the number one pick, it would be a ten. It would be a a ten to get that right to make sure that you got the right piece. We don't know where they're going to draft, and we don't know who exactly is going to be in the draft. We have a sense, Um, but right now I think they would draft nineteenth. so, you know, I'm not going to say that you would put a 10 importance on a player that you drafted 19th. That's such a hit or miss uh, position in the draft. And really, uh, any more in the NBA draft, you're going to get some can't miss type prospects. But because I think guys are so young who are in the draft, it's hard. It's hard to know what, what you're getting when you get it. And I, I think there are some, there's a, a very limited number of can't miss prospects. Um, and so, you know, when you draft at that low a position, um, you know, it, it would be great if they get a really good player. They obviously have needs. I mean, if they could get, um, you know, depending on how the rest of the season goes, maybe they want to look at a backup point guard. Mm-hmm. Certainly, I think they want to look at scoring on the wing. Um, but, you know, the, the other thing is that, like, uh, guess what? Everybody else wants in the NBA. They want point guards and wings. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Caleb underscore Jones underscore Ash, should they target a wing or a point guard? We kind of talked about this before we started the podcast. That, and he he mentions that there's this draft is particularly deep with point guards. But when you look at the draft board, like you go to Draft Express, it seems like they're deep with point guards up until like pick ten. Yeah, exactly. Depending on whether you consider Malik Monk at Kentucky a point guard, and I, I wouldn't, but they list him as kind of a combo guard, point guard, shooting guard. Uh, it, depending on how you view that, there's six in the top ten, and Monk is one of the top ten guys. So there's either five or six point guards in the top 10. So, you know, point guard has taken a hit by the time you get to 18, 19, wherever they end up drafting. Um, and then there's also five small forwards off the board by that point on draft express, which is draft express is what I typically use um, for this stuff. So, you know, that's, they're talking about of 17 teams or whatever drafting ahead of you, 11 would be taking guys at the positions that you're targeting. Um, no matter how deep a draft is, once five and six guys are gone from a position, there's a limit to just how deep it can be. Yeah, and I think a guy that, if he stays in the draft, this guy would be really interesting, and he seems to kind of fit the quote-unquote thunder profile. Uh, I'm fascinated to hear if you say a guy that, that uh, Eric, there's a guy Eric and I talk about a lot. OG Ananobi? Yeah, that's him. That's yep. the one. So he tore, his, um, he tore his ACL and he's out for the season. Uh, but if he stays in the draft, he'll fall around thunder range, and I really like him as a thunder player. Yep, he's a really interesting guy for them. He is, he's very long. He's a really good and versatile defender, um, and I I think he'll score some. I, the the question is, you know, is he going to be a big time scorer in the NBA? Hard to say, but I think you could gamble on his athleticism. Um, at his age, he's nineteen. You know, um, nineteen to be a second year guy is in, in college is good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think he's he he very much to me. 
Um, and, and like from the day I got here, Eric Horn talked about this, just as one of those guys that like looks like a thunder guy. He just, yep. it's, he carries himself that way. He defends that way. Um, he, he's, he's so athletic, um, just all the kinds of things that they seem to target, you know, and, and, you know, um, people hate you for saying this sometimes, but like for all his foibles and faults, like Tom Crean has done a nice job developing NBA talent there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you're right about that. And, you know, he's a little, he's to me, he's like an Andre Robertson replacement. Like, yeah. Um, so he could slide right in if they trade Robertson or if they let him walk or whatever. Uh, he's, he's been a better, he's not a good shooter, but he's been a better shooter than Robertson was in college. I think Robertson was like 24% from three at Colorado and, oh, geez, at least 31%, which is not great, especially from college range. But, um, you know, I, I really like him. He's a guy that I would target. Other than that, uh, Tyler Lydon or Lydon, I don't know how you say it, who plays for Syracuse is a kind of a combo three, four guy that can shoot it that they might look at. Uh, that's one of the guys. I think that's where Draft Express, I think that's who Draft Express has right now on their, like at 19 on yes. their board. That's who they, if they have the Thunder at 19 taking him. Interestingly, right below him is Bam Adebayo, um, mm-hmm. who they have 20th, who I don't think really fits in terms of like, you don't really need a power forward. Um, but you talk about an athletic guy who's like, you know, fits the mold in terms of being young and athletic and the sort of things they target. He's fascinating, but you know, I don't, I don't think you, you're, you're, if you're taking a power forward in this draft, it's because you've gotten to a best player available situation. Yeah. I think if like a Harry Giles dropped, I think that would be really tempting. Yeah. And that, I think that's possible. I mean, that, that's a guy too, who I think like you might take the risk on, um, um, even though he's not necessarily a position of need, because you know who knows who knows what he can kind of turn into. He's got at one point he was considered to be the best guy out of all these guys in this freshman class, right? And that kind of scares you a little bit because the Thunder have selected a guy like that in Perry Jones, who's mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of yeah. dropped off the map once they actually started playing basketball. Um, so it's interesting. I don't. I I think the Thunder should target a wing. I think that you can find a competent backup point guard. You don't need a lot of minutes at point guard right now because you have Russell Westbrook. Yep. Uh, and you can find somebody that can fill those, you know, ten to fifteen minutes a game. Uh, I think that they really need a wing. They need a wing that can score. They need a wing that can be versatile. Uh, and they they just don't have it right now. So I think that it's. I think the draft is important in that. I also think they could use the draft to uh, you know make a trade or an upgrade. Uh, you know, maybe a deal with Denver would make more sense at the draft. I don't know, but I think that they will be aggressive at the draft, and it should be pretty interesting. Yeah, the other thing we should say about the backup point guard thing is that you know I think campaigns played a little better the last two games, particularly two games ago. Memphis was his best game of the year. And so, you know, uh, I've probably been as guilty as anybody of jumping to conclusions on cam, but it's still pretty early for a guy who missed 37 games and hasn't played a ton in his NBA career. Um, way, way too soon to write it off. Say like they have to go get another point guard. Um, you know, when you've got a guy that young. Um, so I, I, I think it's wing to me is a much more pressing need, particularly if you ultimately decide, um, you know, that Robertson isn't part of the future. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I, I mentioned on the last podcast that I think that I'm afraid that he might not be a backup point guard. And people took that as like, Oh, Andrew thinks that they don't, that he'll never be a backup point guard. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I just, his play has been concerning. Like if you've been watching him play since he's been back, like he's, he's played, he didn't even play that well yesterday. Like he's just, he's been, I don't know. He just doesn't look that good. So 
No, I, I thought Memphis was was good. He was good against Memphis. Yes. Um, and and surely you know motivated. This is hometown team and all that stuff. Um, and you'd like to see that be a little bit more consistent. Uh, not a little bit. You'd like to see it be a lot more consistent because like mm-hmm. the kind of minutes he gave you against Memphis, they didn't blow you away. They were just good. And that's that's what you need out of him every night. You just need good solid minutes. And and you know when I say every night, you know what I mean. It's the NBA. So like eight times out of ten or whatever. But like you just need him to be a steady, consistent guy who's doing some things to get other people involved, who's not just relying on those three-point shots, who's, who's kind of getting into the paint a little bit and making some things happen. And we just haven't seen a ton of that yet. Yep. Uh, another question from at Triple Double VGC. He's asking, will Robertson be traded before the deadline, and then what could the Thunder fetch for him? I'm going to ask this a little bit different. What What is the percentage chance that you give that Andre Robertson's on the Thunder after February 23rd? Oh... Uh, 55, 60, 70. I don't know. I, I think more likely than not, Okay, but maybe not. Maybe, maybe it's 50. It's, that's hard to say. I really, uh, much like one to 10 questions. I'm not great at percentage questions yeah. because <laughs> so many things can happen between now and then, I, you know, from the day that Adams and Oladipo signed, it did not feel like Robertson was long for the thunder. Mm-hmm. And, and by long, I don't mean this season. I mean, long term beyond this season. Um, and so, you know, and that's not necessarily the case. There's, you know, the, any number of things can happen, but they don't, they don't tend to, I don't think want to mess around with restricted free agency a whole lot. Um, so, you know, maybe there's a greater chance than that. That's a, that's a, that's a, uh, throwing out a, a number is, uh, not my strong suit. So, um, I, I think the, the smart thing to do probably is you, you've got to make it to me. The smart decision is to decide before, February 23rd, whether this is a piece you're going forward with. Um, and if it's not, then you just go ahead and get it done because you have such need there. Yeah. I, I think he gets dealt. That's a terrible answer, but I <laughs> just kind of, I, 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 I really do not like being put on the spot on predictions. Cause I just, I can't possibly know this, you know, I yeah. just, I'm not, I'm not good at knowing this. Yeah. I mean, these are all guesses. I would guess that he's gone just because like what you mentioned with the restricted free agency stuff, like Presley, he just doesn't, he didn't like his guys to get there. He can't control what kind of contract they're going to get and you can watch him go for nothing. I'd rather them get even like a late first round pick for him. Obviously like a Wilson Chandler, um, with, you know, uh, Robertson being a part of that trade, I think makes a ton of sense for OKC. Um, but I don't know. Something like that makes a ton of sense. And I would, I think that he's definitely a player that helps the Thunder right now. I mean, all the numbers back it up. Uh, defense, when he's on the court, is 102. When he's off, it's 108. I mean, he is the best defender on the Thunder next to Steven Adams. And he's very helpful. But if the Thunder can find a replacement wing and use Robertson, you know, as a trade chip, I think that makes sense. Yeah, it just it's as good as he is defensively. And once again, I say he is really good defensively. Like mm-hmm. people need to stop focusing on his bad defensive games because Russell Westbrook has bad offensive games. It just happens. He just you know you're not when you play when you defend the caliber of guy that that Robertson defends night in and night out. You will have games where you really struggle. That's going to happen. It's just a fact of NBA life. But he's a really really good defender. Now, like, is he good enough offensively? Uh, to offset, you know, you know, I, I've had people tell me he's so bad offensively that it doesn't merit playing him at all, no matter how good defensively he is, and that's absurd. <laughs> you know, that's just a ridiculous notion. Yeah. Is he a net positive or a net negative? I, I think he's he's marginally a net positive because he's so good defensively. But, you know, he plays a position where you typically get scoring on a team that doesn't score a lot. 
that, that struggles to score. So that that's where, you know, I think he's much more valuable to a team that has scoring on the wings that can use him situationally or play him alongside a big time wing scorer um, than he would be here. And so I think he's got trade value. Um, I just don't know that he's necessarily the long term fit here because of the way you're constructed. I just think you need a guy who scores there. Yeah, totally agree. Great player, not a great fit with OKC. That's why I like the Denver fit, and I'll, I'll probably be saying that to myself until the trade deadline passes and still say it afterwards because I don't know that Denver will ever do a deal. Um, yeah, Denver has a lot of wings, and I think they've got yeah. some, some more offensive-minded guys and, and you know maybe could use a guy like him. Yeah, Chandler, Barton. I mean, they've got all these guys that kind of do the same thing. I know that Will Barton and Wilson Chandler are different players, but they will ser- serve the same purpose and – why don't we just give you Robertson? Because they don't have they have no wing defenders. None of those guys are defenders. So I think that's why that makes sense. Um, Brett, thanks for coming on the podcast today. We can follow you on Twitter at b Dawson Writes. We can also read all your stuff at newsok.com. Listen to you on the Thunder Buddies podcast. And anything else? Anything else? Brett? And watch us every Thunder Thursday on yeah. News OK. Um, yeah. our, at 2 o'clock on Thursdays, we sit around a table. It's real professional-like. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's like our own little uh, sports center.